Hold um, on, hold on just a sec. I just went live. We're live now. Okay. Do you have any questions? Anything else you want to say? You can just do it. Nope, nope, okay. Uh, Hi, this I'm, is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest from the UK. His name is Robert Hutchinson, and he published a book back in 2015 we're going to talk about. title of the book is The Audacious Crimes of Colonel Blood, The Spy Who Stole the Crown Jewels and Became the King's Secret Agent. Uh, this is not his first book. He's written over 20 books. Uh, he's written specifically nine books on the Tudors and Stuarts. Uh, Robert Hutchinson was defense correspondent for the UK National News Agency, the Press Association in Fleet Street from 1978 to 83, before moving to Jane's Information Group to launch Jane's Defense Weekly and becoming publishing director, responsible for books, magazines, journals, and digital titles. From 1997 to 2008, he was chairman of the media side in the defense press and broadcasting advisory committee, the unique British system that protects national security in the reporting of military or intelligence issues. He is a fellow of the Society of Antiquaries of London, an associate tutor in church archaeology at the University of Sussex, and an expert in the archaeology of the Reformation. He was appointed OBE, Officer of the British Empire, in the 2008 New Year's Honors list. So I'm going to list off a couple of his other books in his most recent one. One of his other titles is The Last Days of Henry VIII, Conspiracies, Treason, and Heresy at the Court of the Dying Tyrant, 2006. House of Treason, The Rise and Fall of a Tudor Dynasty, 2009. Thomas Cromwell, The Rise and Fall of Henry VIII's Most Notorious Minister, 2009. Young Henry, Young Henry The Rise of Henry VIII, 2012. And The Spanish, Spanish Armada, A History, 2014. And his most recent publication is Henry VIII, The Decline and Fall of a Tyrant, where he goes into it. But he can, he can talk more about that. But again, the, the book we're going to talk about today is titled Really Fascinating Person, a really fascinating book, The Audacious Crimes of Colonel Blood. So Robert Hutchinson, welcome to the show. Thanks for agreeing for the interview. Thank, thank you very much, William. For um, people... Colonel, yeah, sorry. No, please continue. Go. Uh, Colonel Blood uh, is one of those charismatic uh, characters in history whose breathtaking uh, exploits really prove the truth of the old maxim that uh, um, that uh, truth can be much stranger than, than fiction. Um, he was involved in a, an attempted coup d'etat in, in Ireland. Uh, he was involved in trying to assassinate the English king, Charles II, on numerous occasions. And, of course, he tried to steal the crown jewels, the royal, royal regalia of England. And he won widespread notoriety in the 17th century, being called the father of all treasons. So he had almost always a substantial price on his head, dead or alive, and he was a hunted man throughout the British Isles. Uh, he was an arrogant, eccentric fantasist with a very persuasive manner, reinforced by buckets of Irish charm, armed with a neat turn of phrase that proved useful in a tight spot. And that lyrical word, that lyrical Irish word, blarney, might have been created uh, especially for him. Still there. So his breathless exploit ex conducted under a multitude of aliases, assisted by wardrobes full of disguises, left no swash unbuckled, no crime too great to attempt, but despite all this uh, daring do, he was no hero. He would sooner cut your throat than shake your hand. He's really like the generation of kind of the, uh, you know, 
buccaneer rake type person. Can you talk about who he was, how where he got started, and kind of his life trajectory? Yeah, sure. Um, the Bloods family in uh, in Ireland trace their ancestry to a member of the Tudor gentry who went across in 1595 to fight the Irish rebels, like lots of other English people did. And uh, but he found these discomforts and dangers of soldiering rather too uh, uncomfortable and not to his taste. And despite acquiring some rather profitable land, uh, Edmund Blood, because that was his name, Thomas Blood's grandfather, uh, his main income income came from hijacking cargo ships and inviting their captains to hand over sizable uh, quantities of cash in return uh, for safe passage onwards. In other words, piracy. Now, his son moved uh, from the west coast of Ireland to uh, a little town called Sarney, just outside Dublin, the capital of Ireland then as it is now. And uh, in 1618, Thomas Blood Jr. was born there. And we know very little about his early life other than when the English Civil War broke out between the Crown, Charles I, uh, and his uh, and Parliament, he answered the clarion call to, to the colours and went and fought on the royalist side on the English mainland. And he, he was probably at the siege of uh, Sherburne Castle in Dorset when it was captured by the parliamentary forces. He managed to escape, may have had a parole, because we know he was in Ireland uh, that year, uh, and then uh, he came back to England and re-enlisted in the Royalist uh, Army. But Thomas Blood was always a political realist. And when Charles I, father of Charles II, was beheaded by Parliament in Whitehall in 1649, he could see which way the wind was blowing. So he promptly defected to the parliamentary side and became a lieutenant in the parliamentary army, marrying one of the parliamentary heroes, uh, the daughter, one of the parliamentary heroes. Uh, and by her, he had uh, uh, four, four sons and two daughters. And a grateful parliament gave him former lands formerly owned by Catholics and Protestants in Ireland, uh, instead of paying him his back pay. Right. So there were these huge grants, right, that were given out to certain people on Irish land, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and these were all taken from their existing uh, owners and given to parliamentary soldiers because the English parliament was completely broke and this was a handy way of uh, recompensing them for years of back pay. And uh, Thomas Blood was one of those who profited. Now, after the collapse of the English Republic and the return of the monarchy, Charles II, uh, in 1660, uh, Blood's fortunes changed dramatically because there was uh, he lost 85% of the lands Parliament had granted him nine, nine years before because they were handed back to their former owners. And he was suddenly destitute and an extremely angry man. And uh, he joined a conspiracy to uh, overthrow the government of Ireland uh, and return these lands to the Protestants. And the plan was to, to capture initially Dublin Castle and then move the revolt steadily through 
uh, the island of Ireland. But news of that conspiracy uh, was leaked to the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, uh, James Butler, Duke of Ormond, and he launched a preemptive dawn raids and arrested 20 uh, or so of, uh, of the conspirators. And it was pretty soon apparent from the interrogation that the man he really wanted to catch was Thomas Blood. He was the man who was going to lead the assault on Dublin Castle. And they couldn't find him. Uh, he remained in Dublin for three days, despite all these searches and arrests and the hammering on the doors in the middle of the night. Um, and, but he obviously realized that the city was becoming too hot to hold him. So he escaped to the mountains of the north of Ireland uh, using the unlikely disguise of a Catholic priest. But he still was arrogant enough, uh, returned to Dublin to visit his wife and children while still this wanted man. And he walked happily through the streets uh, at the middle of the day and through the city gates and nobody stopped him. So, you know, arrogance and a daredevil and he gets away with it. It's the first of many such exploits. Right, and he's constantly kind of moving around too. So he was in Ireland and then he ends up uh, going to the mainland or going to the continent, right? Well, he goes. He goes to Scotland. He takes part in the rebellion there. He goes to England, and we have to remember that there are a lot of disgruntled people. Uh, English school children are taught about uh, the reign of the Merry Monarch Charles II. Uh, you know, it swept away all those joyous, joyless edicts of the Republican regime. You could have the theatre again because it was banned, but the theatre was reopened the filthy exercise of maypole dancing, and even Christmas pies, which were banned, they were all back. The laughter was back in, in, in England. But reality was somewhat different. Behind all that uh, glittering facade of a newfound confident monarchy, Charles II's government was confronted with a wave of dangerous uprisings and plots that endangered both government and uh, and uh, and King Thomas Blood was part and parcel of most of them. The risk of assassination by bomb or bullet or silent crossbow bol bolt never seemed far away from Ch for Charles or his brother James, Duke of of, uh, of York. And uh, Blood was a leader of this sort of confederation of non-conformists and religious fanatics who were intent not only on winning political power, but also being able to have freedom of worship outside the reimposed uh, Anglican state religion. And can you describe, I mean, maybe we got too far, but for people in the States, they may not know the details of what happened between Charles I, Cromwell, and Charles II. Can you... Yeah, sure. Charles I was was uh, uh, deposed after losing the English Civil War um, by Parliament, and uh, the monarchy was swept away. And Oliver Cromwell uh, appointed himself basically Lord Protector uh, of the realm. Now, you and I would call him a dictator, an unelected dictator with amazing powers. But he died uh, in 1658 
and people realized the republic wasn't going to last and the only way they could actually bring some measure of peace to england scotland and, and ireland uh, was to bring the monarchy back and charles first son also called charles had fled the country to europe and he was brought back and the monarchy was reinstated gotcha thanks and, and he was and cromwell was a puritan too so all yep. kind of uh you know part of the, those types of festivities you were talking about were banned and stuff like that so then you're back to charles ii and but blood has gone from he worked for the charles the first and cromwell and then back to then he was sub that's uh, right right so. he's a real turncoat all right he's a real that's sort of fighting uh blood and all his fellow conspirators uh is uh charles ii's secret service uh now they could open mail um the, the post post the mail was a state-owned operation deliberately so because you could open the mail and read it reseal the package without anybody knowing it's been read so they're keeping a close watch on everybody's activities uh, not only that they've got a whole host of uh spies who are mainly uh, social misfits criminals and turncoats who are prepared to risk their lives to supply information in return for a royal grant of money or land or a pardon for past mis misdemeanors or just simple monetary gain so those those filthy streets of london and the dark alleyways of london were full of eyes and this was the environment which blood operated in and and indeed flourished they couldn't lay a finger on him and when some of his fellow uh, conspirators were arrested he tried to rescue them and there was this amazing uh, episode um in uh, uh 1662 um sorry 1667 easy date to rem remember 1667 when when one of his friends who's a fellow conspirator called john mason is being taken to york from london to be executed and he's got a military escort of about uh, a dozen men and uh blood ambushes them it's a bit if it wasn't for the the bloodshed it was like the keystone cops an episode of the keystone cops because first of all um they they uh actually lodge in the same uh, uh, tavern as the uh as the escort and the prisoner when they attack the escort the prisoner refuses to ride off and they have to shoo him away uh they shoot a poor barber who who uh was sheltering with the escort because of his fear of highwaymen bandits on the road uh blood's uh girth holding his saddle he'd forgotten to tighten it up he fell off his horse three times uh because he'd forgotten to tighten his saddle and he kept falling off but he was still wounded three or four times and they managed to escape with the prisoner although blood was was very badly wounded amongst that party was also one of charles ii's spies and blood recognized him he got to york 
but he was poisoned in York Castle six days later. So blood reached out, even though he was wounded, reached out to take out one of his enemies with poison. Right. Yeah, so he's trying to get back at all these people, right? So and he wasn't he under did he have an assumed name at that time or he did it later? So he Well he had lots of assumed names. Assumed One of his right. favorite names was uh was Eilif or Alan. And after that uh daring rescue of a fellow conspirator, he pretended to be a doctor and practiced as a doctor and an apothecary just outside London under the disguise of of Eilith. Now, dangerous thing to do, you know, prescribing medicines for your poor patients. You haven't got a first idea about anything of medical practice, but that's not going to daunt uh, Colonel Blood. He can talk, talk his way out of anything. And he's trying to kill these other people too, right? I mean, there's another, like, isn't there another attempt on uh, Ormond or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the old uh, mafia um, um statement about the, the uh, revenge is a, a dish first uh, best served coal is uh, is applies to, uh, to to blood blood knew that uh, the duke of ormond had taken uh, a grand house to, to, to rent a grand house in today's piccadilly which is in the west end of london very fashionable part of london and uh, he decided that he was going to kidnap him and hang him from the public uh, gibbet uh, at uh, what is in today's a marble arch, but it was then called Tyburn. So they followed the car up Pall Mall, which is um, a road coming out from what is now Trafalgar Square, uh, and attacked it in St James's Street. Uh, they told the uh, the, the uh, coach driver, there was a body in the, the road, he pulled up, and the next thing he knew, there were these pistols aimed at his head. Blood bundled out the Duke of Ormond out of his uh, his uh, uh, coach, and he was thrown on the back of, uh, of, of Blood's uh, son's horse, and they were going to gallop off to hang him. Unfortunately, Blood's son couldn't really control his horse. He had a sword in one hand, a pistol in another, and the reins of the horse in his teeth. And Ormond, an old soldier, knew he could actually get off this. So he managed to heave him off the, the horse, fell off the horse himself and lay there in the mud. And the rest of the gang fired their pistols at him, missed, and then the alarm had been raised and he was rescued. Now, was this actually... A crime of revenge or was blood actually hired by someone at court to assassinate uh, the Duke of Ormond I suspect that the Duke of Buckingham was the man who was interested in Ormond being killed and in fact the Duke's uh, Ormond's son suspected that as well and in front of Charles I at court said I know you're responsible. When I can finally prove it, I'll shoot you dead. Right. Interesting. And so they never suspect blood of anything. So he's not implicated in this attempted murder, too, right? I, well, he. I mean, the, the, there was a human cry for blood 
uh, and his accomplices. And uh, there was a, a, a newspaper called the London Gazette, uh, uh, which came out every day, one of the world's first newspapers, government controlled, of course. And this contains lots of details about Blood's uh, description and the description of, uh, of um, his compatriots and how the investigation is going. There were a lot of midnight raids. There were a lot of people being pursued across rooftops. It was the stuff of Hollywood. Right. And so, but that... That was just one of the events in this guy, this blood's life, because he then makes his attempt at the crown jewels, right? Yeah, you think actually the crown jewels is a pretty big heist, um, and, and they were actually brand new because uh, uh, the old royal regalia, regalia had been broken up and sold by the republican government to pay for the navy. So he had to pay out thousands of money to recreate new ones for Charles II. So they were only a few years old. Uh, and they were kept in a um, three-story tower, uh, now called the Martin Tower, on the northeast corner of the Tower of London, this formidable fortress uh, on the banks of the Thames, whose guns controlled... London. And the man in charge of looking after the crown jewels was an old soldier, an old veteran called Talbot Ed Edwards. And he used to make, you know, a few few dollars for himself by opening what was the, 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 the protection for the uh, for the uh, royal jewels, which was a, it was a it was a cupboard with a wired a meshed doors, which you unlocked. And he would take take the uh, jewels out, show them to any, any visitors, any tourists, and they'd pay him money for the privilege, and he'd lock them up again. And uh, one day, uh, one of the uh, visitors uh, was this um, minister of the church, dressed in a cassock and a black hat, um, and they had a beard. And his name was Dr. Aleph or Dr. Allen, Blood's alias. And he had with him uh, his wife. Now, he wasn't his real wife. His, his wife, Mary, was lying ill uh, at a family home in Lancashire. He'd hired a young Irish actress called Jenny Blaine to take her place. And uh, he asked Talbot Edwards uh, if he could actually have a look at the crown jewels. No problem. Come in. And uh, while the uh, jewels were being shown, uh, Blood's, in white, uh, Blood's wife, in quotes, fell ill. And uh, she was, had to be taken to the Edwards' uh, bed and drinking a restoring uh, draft of brandy. And then recovered. And uh, they became friends of the Torbots. What they were doing, of course, was... Uh, infiltrating the household and uh, they went for meals with the, 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 the Edwards and blood looked around and saw the, some of the weapons on the uh, the walls he was he was casing the joint uh, and um, they eventually um, agreed to 
the Edwards eventually agreed to marry their daughter, Elizabeth, to the Parsons' wealthy young nephew, who, of course, didn't exist. And the formal introduction between the two would-be lovers was fixed for the rather strange time at 7 o'clock in the morning of Tuesday, the 9th of May, 1671. And blood arrived with three men. Um, and unbeknown to the Edwards, uh, they had sword sticks, sticks with blades hidden inside them, uh, pocket pistols, and vicious daggers hidden down the sides of their jackboots. And while they awaited the arrival of uh, Blood's so-called wife, the colonel suggested his friend should be allowed to have a look at the crown jewels. And Edwards agreed, but as soon as they got inside the basement of the Martin Tower, where the, the jewels were, they overpowered him and stabbed him in the stomach. And Blood immediately started battering the imperial state crown so he could hide it in his, in his pants. Uh, Thomas Hunt began to file the scepter into two so he can shove it into his pockets. And another uh, conspirator hid the orb um, in his cloak. But then fate took a hand. Um, the Edward's son who was a, a soldier who'd been serving in Flanders for 10 years, arrives home on leave just at that minute uh, to see his family. And the alarm was raised, the gang fled, and Talbot Edwards staggered bleeding to his feet, crying, treason, murder, the crown is stolen. And blood and his accomplices race through the Tower of London, uh, go through what is called the Bloody Tower, which is one of the gateways. The sentry there fired off a shot from his musket, uh, then threw himself on the ground when blood returned fire. Um, and But they were, they were caught uh, heading for their horses um, on the wharf on the side of the, uh, the River Thames, thrown into jail. And you think, well, that's the end to, of Tom, Thomas Blood. Um, you would think, but... right? And these, just for people who don't know, these are the jewels that all the kings of England are crowned. Yeah, are crowned with. So these are a these are with. not ordinary jewels. That's why they're called yeah. the crown jewels. So as you're that's putting, and there you can see on here, you can see the crown jewel motif on your on the cover of your book if you're on YouTube. Yeah. So sorry. Just to make yeah, when, when when the king or queen is 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 uh, crowned, they have to wear they, the, the crown is placed upon their head, the scepter is placed in one hand, and the orb, which is a, a gold ball with with a cross on top of it, signifying the world, is placed in the other hand, and they're always painted, holding these objects. Right. Thank you. So there's there's blood, and his son, and the other the other conspirators locked up in uh, a rather smelly uh, dungeon in the Tower of London. But is blood dis dis uh, disheartened? Is he downcast? No. Uh, he demands an audience with the king. Now, this is the guy who, who uh, blood had last seen um, at Battersea, which is further down the river, Thames, uh, from the Tower of London, 
and blood was in the, the reeds on the side of the river. And Charles II is skinny dipping in the river. He, he's swimming naked in the river. And blood has him in, in the, his sights of his musket to kill him. And at the last moment, he doesn't pull the trigger because he claims he's overawed. Well, you know, he tells Charles this. And uh, he says to him, um, his Irish Blarney not deserting him, grant me my life and I'll spy for you against uh, my old comrades. And Charles asked him, what if I should give you your life? And uh, Blood uh, replied, I shall uh, endeavour to deserve it. <clears throat> now, uh, excuse me. Right, but they, they like, so <laughs> he's ready to turn on his old friends. Like, he should have been hung, right? Drawn and quartered. He should have been something. hung. Yeah, he is the greatest villain un, unhung in, in criminal history. Some thought, actually, this is all rather glib. Why is, uh, is Charles letting him off? Well, maybe Charles is actually part of a conspiracy himself. Maybe he wants to get rid of the, uh, the crown jewels to raise some money because he's always broke. Maybe he could break up the jewels himself. And... Uh, uh, Blood was just a, just its tool. Anyway, um, he recruits. He agrees, and he recruits uh, Blood to become a, a spy for him. And Joseph Williamson, his spy master, says, "Actually, Blood has been so helpful to us. His value is worth ten times the value of the crown because he is uh, breaking breaking up lots of more conspiracies for assassination." He's telling the, the King's Secret Service about new threats emerging. But also, he's making a bit of money on the side as well. He's doing a lot of private digging for dirt for other members of, uh, of the court. So he's becoming a sort of private uh, eye, uh, uh, discovering uh, things about people's political rivals at court. And uh, the um, the uh, uh, diarist Evelyn um, John Evelyn um, saw blood, um, and I've got a quote from him somewhere. It's disappeared. Just bear with me one second. Uh, yeah. He was he was he was he was terribly uh, surprised how blood got away with this, and met him at court, and described him as having a an evil uh, face capable of insinuating himself in any situation. And that's true. So that's what Blood does for the rest of his career. He spies for the king and he makes money out of uh, spying for members of the court who are constantly jockeying for position. Right. He runs foul of the Duke of uh, Buckingham and is jailed. And the poor guy eventually dies from a stroke at the age of uh, uh, 62 in, in 1682. Uh, um, um, and there we have, you know, the, the last astonishing thing of his life, the astonishing event of his life, 
when he died, people couldn't believe he was dead. They claimed to have seen him. They thought it, but he faked his death. And such was the widespread talk that the government were forced to exhume his body two weeks after he died and have an inquest with a jury of people who knew him to identify his body as he really had died. But by that time, the body had decayed so much that none of them recognized him. And he was only identified by an enlarged thumb, which he had, had uh, as a, uh, a result of a wound. And a captain, an army captain, identified the corpse as blood um, as a result of that. But there's always still debate about really, was he dead or was this another pull-up job? Another kind of job, right. But, I mean, he was, so he survived. He had, after trying to steal the crown jewels, he had a whole other career after that, right? I mean, like, another, he was he still alive, yeah, walking around London. He, it's incredible. He, make, he, makes, he makes James Bond look like a yeah. altar boy. Yeah, I know this guy. And, I mean, he's kind of like uh, a legendary figure in English history now, right? Like, kind of, I think he's mentioned in places... That, yeah, and, and Irish history too. Um, um, yeah, because, he had a lot uh, of offspring too, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's one, there's one last sort of postscript to his story, which may interest you. <clears throat> Although uh, Charles promised him five hundred pounds a year plus lots of land, of course, because Charles I never kept his second, never kept his word. Um, he never got it. And his descendants continually tried to claim the lands which Charles II had uh, granted him. And um, in the state archives in, in, in uh, Dublin are some letters from a chap called uh, Edmund bon uh, bon uh, Blood, uh, who was Thomas Blood's grandson. And he was a captain serving with the British Army in North America in 1734, long before the War of Independence. And uh, he wrote to his relatives in Dublin saying, you know, I'm willing to pay for a legal action to try and get our, our, uh, our uh, lands back. And uh, at the bottom of the letter, he said, you can write to me uh, as Captain Edmund Blunt, uh, blood care of um and then the name's a merchant uh, who lives in albany north america mm. now that's a great address isn't it name the individual albany north america of course it's albany capital of new york state no zip codes but the letters got to him the letters got to him sadly they told him that they failed in the legal action so the the lands were never recovered Never recovered. Well, yeah, but it's a fascinating story that this guy, how he, he was like a really just kind of a, uh, really a rake buccaneer of that era who made it through well, so many. Well, that's right. Stars. I mean, he was he was a gambler who was never afraid of the odds. Um, he took a, a reckless delight in staging an outrage purely for his own sake, for his own pleasure. And he may well have tried to assassinate viceroys, kings, rescue friends, um, because, you know, 
he thought those challenges were too great for other people to try. He was a man who could do it. It's, it's like it's like what, what, what drove him, or maybe it's like you know the people who climb mountains because they're there. Right. Well, put him right into the history books. He's a legend. I mean, that's a great way to end it, uh, Robert. What? Uh, where's the best place for people to get the audacious crimes of Colonel Blood? Uh, Amazon. You know, never forget faithful Amazon. Um, but it, but still in the stores. Um, uh, so it's still in print. Yeah, and all your books are there. So, you, I mean, definitely there's a lot of them on there, a lot of those other titles that I mentioned earlier. And you said the best place if people want to reach out and contact you is through your publisher, correct? Through my publisher, which is Weidenfield and Nicholson, part of the Orion Group, or my agent, Andrew Lowney. Oh, Andrew, right. Andrew Lowney. I just got off the phone with Andrew. Just talked about, but we just talked about Mountbatten, but yeah. So I'll put up Andrew's website too. So if people want to reach That'd out to good. you and talk to you. But uh, thanks so much for your time. Really fascinating, great story. Again, the title of the book is "The Audacious Crimes of Colonel Blood, the Spy Who Stole the Crown Jewels and Became the King's Secret Agent" by Robert Hutchinson. Hutchinson. Thank you so much, Robert. Appreciate your time. Thank, thank you, William. Thank you. Right, take care. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there.